Chapter Twenty Five of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nadine Kurtboulet. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter Twenty Five. We would learn the private virtues, how to glide through shades and plains along the smoothest stream of rural life or snatched away by hope through the dim spaces of futurity with earnest eye anticipate those scenes of happiness and wonder where the mind in endless growth and infinite ascent rises from state to state and world to world thompson elena obedient to the command of skedoni withdrew from her home on the day that followed her arrival there to the Santa della Pieta. The superior, who had known her from her infancy, and, from the acquaintance which such long observation afforded, had both esteemed and loved her, received Elena with a degree of satisfaction proportionate to the concern she had suffered when informed of her disastrous removal from the Villa Altieri. Among the quiet groups of this convent, however, Elena vainly endeavoured to moderate her solicitude respecting the situation of vivaldi for now that she had a respite from immediate calamity she thought with more intense anxiety as to what might be his sufferings and her fears and impatience increased as each day disappointed her expectation of intelligence from skedoni if the soothings of sympathy and the delicate arts of benevolence could have restored the serenity of her mind elena would now have been peaceful for all these were offered her by the abbess and the sisters of the santa della pieta they were not acquainted with the cause of her sorrow but they perceived that she was unhappy and wished her to be otherwise the society of our lady of pity was such as a convent does not often shroud to the wisdom and virtue of the superior the sisterhood was principally indebted for the harmony and happiness which distinguished them this lady was a shining example to governesses of religious houses and a striking instance of the influence which a virtuous mind may acquire over others as well as of the extensive good that it may thus diffuse she was dignified without haughtiness religious without bigotry and mild though decisive and firm she possessed penetration to discover what was just resolution to adhere to it and temper to practice it with gentleness and grace so that even correction from her assumed the winning air of courtesy the person whom she admonished wept in sorrow for the offence instead of being secretly irritated by the reproof and loved her as a mother rather than feared her as a judge whatever might be her failings they were effectually concealed by the general benevolence of her heart and the harmony of her mind a harmony not the effect of torpid feelings but the accomplishment of correct and vigilant judgment her religion was neither gloomy nor bigoted it was the sentiment of a grateful heart offering itself up to a deity who delights in the happiness of his creatures and she conformed to the customs of the roman church without supposing a faith in all of them to be necessary to salvation this opinion however she was obliged to conceal 
lest her very virtue should draw upon her the punishment of a crime from some fierce ecclesiastics who contradicted in their practice the very essential principles which the christianity they professed would have taught them in her lectures to the nuns she seldom touched upon points of faith but explained and enforced the moral duties particularly such as were most practicable in the society to which she belonged such as tended to soften and harmonize the affections to impart that repose of mind which persuades to the practice of sisterly kindness universal charity and the most pure and elevated devotion when she spoke of religion it appeared so interesting so beautiful that her attentive auditors revered and loved it as a friend a refiner of the heart a sublime consoler and experienced somewhat of the meek and holy ardour which may belong to angelic natures the society appeared like a large family of which the lady abbess was the mother rather than an assemblage of strangers and particularly when gathered around her they listened to the evening sermon which she delivered with such affectionate interest such persuasive eloquence and sometimes with such pathetic energy as few hearts could resist she encouraged in her convent every innocent and liberal pursuit which might sweeten the austerities of confinement and which were generally rendered instrumental to charity the daughters of pity particularly excelled in music not in those difficulties of the art which display florid graces and intricate execution but in such eloquence of sound as steals upon the heart and awakens its sweetest and best affections it was probably the well-regulated sensibility of their own minds that enabled these sisters to diffuse through their strains a character of such finely tempered taste as drew crowds of visitors on every festival to the church of the santa della pieta the local circumstances of this convent were scarcely less agreeable than the harmony of its society was interesting these extensive domains included olive grounds vineyards and some cornland a considerable tract was devoted to the pleasures of the garden whose groves supplied walnuts almonds oranges and citrons in abundance and almost every kind of fruit and flower which this luxurious climate nurtured these gardens hung upon the slope of a hill about a mile within the shore and afforded extensive views of the country round naples and of the gulf but from the terraces which extended along a semicircular range of rocks that rose over the convent and formed a part of the domain the prospects were infinitely finer they extended on the south to the isle of capria where the gulf expands into the sea in the west appeared the island of ischia distinguished by the white pinnacles of the lofty mountain epomeo and near it procida with its many-coloured cliffs rose out of the waves overlooking many points towards puzzuoli the eye caught beyond other promontories and others further still to the north a glimpse of the sea that bathes the now desolate shores of Baia, with capua and all the towns and villas that speckle the garden plains between caserta and naples in the nearer scene were the rocky heights of pausilipo 
and Naples itself, with all its crowded suburbs ascending among the hills, and mingling with vineyards and overtopping Cyprus. The castle of San Elmo, conspicuous on its rock, overhanging the magnificent monastery of the Chartreux, while in the scene below appeared the Castel Nuovo, with its clustered towers, the long-extended corso, the mole, with its tall pharos, and the harbour gay with painted shipping, and full to the brim with the blue waters of the bay. Beyond the hills of Naples, the whole horizon to the north and east was bounded by the mountains of the Apennine, an amphitheatre proportioned to the grandeur of the plain, which the gulf spread out below. These terraces, shaded with acacias and plane trees, were the favourite haunt of Elena. Between the opening branches she looked down upon Villa Altieri, which brought to her remembrance the affectionate Bianchi, with all the sportive years of her childhood, and where some of her happiest hours had been passed in the society of Vivaldi. Along the windings of the coast, too, she could distinguish many places rendered sacred by affection, to which she had made excursions with her lamented relative and Vivaldi, and, though sadness mingled with the recollections a view of them restored, they were precious to her heart. Here, alone and unobserved, she frequently yielded to the melancholy which she endeavoured to suppress in society, and at other times tried to deceive, with books and the pencil, the lingering moments of uncertainty concerning the state of Vivaldi, for day after day still elapsed without bringing any intelligence from Schedoni. Whenever the late scenes connected with the discovery of her family recurred to Elena, she was struck with almost as much amazement as if she was gazing upon a vision instead of recalling realities. Contrasted with the sober truth of her present life, the past appeared like romance, and there were moments when she shrunk from the relationship of Schedoni with unconquerable affright. The first emotions his appearance had excited were so opposite to those of filial tenderness that she perceived it was now nearly impossible to love and revere him as her father, and she endeavoured, by dwelling upon all the obligations which she believed he had lately conferred upon her, to repay him in gratitude what was withheld in affection. In such melancholy considerations, she often lingered under the shade of the acacias, till the sun had sunk behind the far distant promontory of Miseno, and the last bell of Vespers summoned her to the convent below. Among the nuns, Elena had many favourites, but not one that she admired and loved equally with Olivia of San Stefano, the remembrance of whom was always accompanied with a fear lest she should have suffered from her generous compassion, and a wish that she had taken up her abode with the happy society of the daughters of pity, instead of being subjected to the tyranny of the abbess of San Stefano. To Elena, the magnificent scenes of the Santa della Pieta seemed to open a secure and, perhaps, a last asylum, for, in her present circumstances, she could not avoid perceiving how menacing and various were the objections to her marriage with Vivaldi, even should Schedoni prove propitious to it. The character of the Marchesa di Vivaldi, 
such as it stood unfolded by the late occurrences, struck her with dismay, for her designs appeared sufficiently atrocious, whether they had extended to the utmost limit of Elena's suspicions, or had stopped where the affected charity of Skedoni had pointed out. In either case, the pertinacity of her aversion, and the vindictive violence of her nature, were obvious. In this view of her character, however, it was not the inconvenience threatened to those who might become connected with her that principally affected Elena, but the circumstance of such a woman being the mother of Vivaldi, and, to alleviate so afflicting a consideration, she endeavoured to believe all the palliating suggestions of Skedoni respecting the Marquesa's late intentions. But if Elena was grieved on discovering crime in the character of Vivaldi's parent, what would have been her suffering had she suspected the nature of Skedoni? What if she had been told that he was the adviser of the Marquesa's plans? If she had known that he had been the partner of her intentional guilt? From such suffering she was yet spared, as well as from that which a knowledge of Vivaldi's present situation, and of the result of Skedoni's efforts to procure a release from the perils among which she had precipitated him, would have inflicted. Had she known this, it is probable that in the first despondency of her mind, she would have relinquished what is called the world, and sought a lasting asylum with the society of the Holy Sisters. Even as it was, she sometimes endeavoured to look with resignation upon the events which might render such a step desirable. But it was an effort that seldom soothed her, even with a temporary self-delusion. Should the veil, however, prove her final refuge, it would be by her own choice, for the lady abbess of the Santa della Pieta employed no art to win a recluse, nor suffered the nuns to seduce votaries to the order. End of chapter 25